Welcome to In the Queue, a podcast presented by Messick, Lauer, and Smith. From QSOs to regulatory concerns and everything in between, we will talk about relevant topics, trends, and information in the credit union industry and how they can affect your credit union or QSO. Today, we welcome back to the podcast Amanda Smith, a partner at Messick, Lauer, and Smith. Uh, for this podcast episode, we will be discussing the FTC's safeguard rule and its expansive definition of what is a financial institution. Now, into the conversation with Amanda. Good morning and welcome back to In the Queue, Amanda Smith. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you? Oh, pretty good. We're uh, recording this today on a Friday. So, um, you know, we have the holidays coming up next week and everything. So I think uh, everybody will hear it by that time. But um, yeah, just count, count down the end of uh, summer here. <laughs> yeah. Count down those days. Went too fast, way too fast. Every year, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, Amanda, uh, you had brought up in one of our meetings recently that you had been receiving questions about the safeguards rule. Um, and we're going to kind of talk through that today on, on the podcast. But um, funny enough, as we were kind of before we hit record today, you had mentioned um, that this is a topic you actually discussed uh, during a panel you know, at the NACUSO yeah. conference, I think a couple of years back. So um, I guess starting there, right, like you were talking about this two years ago. Why, why are we talking about this today? Yeah, this one was sort of a slow, a slow burn to uh, to come about. Um, it was uh, in December of uh, 2021, I think it it became effective. Um, but then uh, the FTC um, they they pushed it back, so they extended the effective date until um june of 2023 so they really gave everybody a ton of extra time to get in compliance with this rule um and actually it's not a new rule at all um there was an original safeguards rule um, that's been in place since uh 2002 um, but that rule was very very high level and um, this rule is a lot more uh, prescriptive uh, than the old rule. And this rule was put in place um, allegedly to uh, keep pace with technology is is uh, the claim. Um, but yeah, so that's that's really um, where we're at. And I, I'm hearing a lot of questions from clients, I think, because there is... Um, there's a place in this rule for assistance from third parties. So when you have a place for assistance from third parties, you tend to get um, a lot of solicitation from third parties to assist. So a lot of clients are receiving emails from the third parties saying, hey, if you're not in compliance with this rule, you're going to get fined or there's all these penalties. So you need to, to come to us. We can help you. Um, so a little bit of a scare tactic. Um, so they're getting the emails and then sending the emails to us and saying, should we be worried? And then, you know, we're sort of walking through um, the analysis with the clients and saying, you know, hey, does it apply? You know, that's that's where we, you know, we start first with them is does the rule even apply to you? That's right. step one. 
Yeah. So um, I think before we kind of dive into, you know, the specifics about, you know, whether or not this rule applies, right? Um, you know, if so, I guess, like, can, can you give us a, a little bit of like a broad overview as to like, you know, like what, you know, when clients are asking you about this and whether it applies, like what, what are they asking? Like in particular, like what is the rule really getting at? Um, so the rule in general is, is looking at, um, certain types of institutions and, uh, how they're protecting, um, customer information and that customer information generally is, um, non-public personal information. So really how these certain types of institutions are are protecting that uh, non-public personal information that they may hold. That, and that's really it. I mean, the how they're safeguarding, you know, that information. It's very, you know, the name right. sort of gives it away. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so because I know we've we've talked a lot about um, for the NCUA's regulations, right? Like they have this part 748, you know, yeah. there's this requirement for credit unions to have, you know, an information security program. And there is also that, you know, they need to to make sure that their vendors, you know, are able to adequately protect that type of information. So what, what kind of differences are there between, you know, that 748 versus what we see in the safeguards rule? So in 748, um, 748 tends to be a little bit more general and give um, a little bit more leeway to the credit unions to create their own um, safeguards policy policies and procedures and how they want to do it. And then um, to the extent that it may apply to a service provider, um, even more so. Um, it's really the credit unions just need to make sure that the service providers um, have adequate safeguards in place that 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 comply with with the rule and sort of that spirit of the rule. Um, so it's really very high level and really very general and probably more in line with the old safeguards rule. As we move into this new safeguards rule, like I said, the new safeguards rule is very, very prescriptive. Um, they have sort of this um, list of things that they want to see in your um, safeguards procedures. Um, there's, you know, we'll go through it in a little bit, but there's things like testing, um, risk assessment, things of that nature that they they want to see done. Um, so it's it's very um, it's very specific not not quite as high level as it used to be gotcha right so like you know you would think all those things and again we'll, we'll kind of talk about what you were just saying there get into it a little more specifically but um right instead of just having like a, a program you know okay check that box right like these are talking about some of the specifics that you might find in that program right right yeah and I think um, a lot of folks who may have been subject to the FTC safeguards rule uh, Previously, um, who may have been considered, um, you know, a financial institution under the rule and may not have even known it, um, may have been complying with it by virtue of being a service provider to a credit union um, and been complying with, you know, Part 748 of the NCUA's regulations. But now, now that we're moving into this uh, more detailed rule, they're going to have to be aware that, you know, they're covered by this safeguards rule 
and it is more detailed and, you know, they're not going to be complying with the FTC's rule just because they're complying with um, the NCOA's rule. Right. No, yeah, I think that that's... They're probably complying with the NCOA's rule if they're complying with the FTC's rule (laughs) because it's more prescriptive. Right. No, that's a good point. And it's a really good distinction too, because, you know, like I I know a lot of our clients are QSOs and, and right. So they know what the credit unions have to, um, you know, from like a regulatory perspective have to um, comply with. So I think that's a good point. So you kind of hinted at it there um, in, in your, in your previous answer about what really gets to the basis of the safeguards rule. And that's whether a business is considered a financial institution. So can you kind of like walk through that? Because right, like when I think financial institution, I I think bank, I think credit union, you know, I think, you know, like those types of institutions. So like, how, how do we get from that common sense of like a financial institution to what is defined at in this safeguards rule? Yeah. So it's not that traditional idea of a, a financial institution at all. Um, so you, you must be subject to the FTC's jurisdiction. And I know that's not something everybody knows, you know, right off the bat, because, um, it's, it's hard to know. A lot of folks don't know if they're subject to FTC's jurisdiction, the CFPB's jurisdiction, the NCOA's jurisdiction. People just don't know the answer to that, that question. And, you must not be subject to the enforcement authority of another regulator when it comes to Gramm-Leach-Bliley. So, you know, the NCUA isn't enforcing Gramm-Leach-Bliley for you. Um, The CFPB isn't enforcing Gramm-Leach-Bliley for you. Those are sort of the two um, indicators that you would be a financial institution, or this would be, you would be covered under the FTC's safeguards rule. And then there's this this third prong, and it's um, that you're engaging in an activity that's financial in nature or incidental to financial activities. And there's it's 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 derived from the Bank Holding Company Act, and and don't don't go into it. Don't try and look <laughs> at it. It's just, just consult your attorney. It's really, it's terrible to look at. I've had to go into it multiple times and try and decipher it. It's a really terrible place to to be. Um, Very dense. I mean, I can give you some examples, things like, and that would apply to, um, you know, the clients we deal with. Um, non-federally insured credit unions um, would be, would fall under, um, all of these things, um, check cashing, uh, automobile dealers, mortgage lenders, payday lenders, mortgage brokers, account servicers, collection agencies, credit counselors, financial advisors, tax preparation firms, um, and investment advisors that aren't required to register with the SEC. Wire transfers, but I want to talk about though that service um, and make a little bit of a dis- a distinction. So, okay, wire transfers. It would have to be your. You would have to be in the business of making wire transfers. So, if you um, make wire transfers in the course of your business, but your business isn't otherwise, you know, falling under one of these financial institution activities. But you have to make a wire transfer, you know, to transfer money. 
you wouldn't be considered a financial institution. You know, one of the examples they give is um, a grocery store. So a grocery store that also um, does check cashing, it's not considered a financial institution just because it, you know, there it it offers check cashing, you know, at the store because it's just sort of a, a, a an offset service that it it offers. You know, right. its primary service is being a grocery store. So you have to think about it in that sense, you know, with um, wire transfers. So um, that that's sort of one that I know a lot of people would probably ask and say, like, well, we do wire transfers. It's like, no, no, no. What's your main what's your main service? Right. Um, right. You, have to th- you have to think about that. There is an exception to some parts of the safeguards rule. Um, if the business maintains customer information uh, concerning less than uh, 5,000 uh, consumers. So that's that's one piece, but it's to um, just certain parts of the of the safeguards rule. Gotcha. And then um, so those those folks, um, financial institutions have always been subject to the safeguards rule. This is the old rule back in 2002. And it's the new rule, the ones that I just listed. There was a big ad um, for the new rule, and it's um, what they're calling finders. And it's anybody who's bringing together um, a buyer and a seller of any type of uh, these financial services. So if you're bringing together these two parties, um, you're going to be considered a finder and you're falling under uh, the safeguards rule. So that's something to be aware of. That's going to be new. So those folks weren't covered previously and they will be covered now. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's an important piece to highlight. Um, and and just the collection of those types of service providers, right? Like the focus is really on the activities, right? Of those businesses as opposed right. to like, right. I mean, we wouldn't think of those necessarily as financial institutions, but at least for the purposes of the rule, they are considered to be. Correct. Correct. Okay. I mean, especially things like a, a car dealer. I mean, you really wouldn't consider a car dealer to be financial institution, but for purposes of this rule, they're going to be considered a financial institution. Right. And uh, a lesson there for the grocery store is not to get into the car dealing business, right? Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. So it, it's like you had mentioned, like the the rule has been in place. It, it kind of expanded to, in that piece there with regards to finders. But, um, you know, like maybe service providers out there wouldn't necessarily think that they're what's defined as a financial institution, right? But find out that they are. So if you are determined to be a financial institution under the safeguards rule, like now, like what what is that service provider responsible for? It's a complaint. All right. So, um... I'll run through a few things. I, this may not be a, a full exhaustive list of all of the things in the rule, um, right. because that would not be uh, riveting podcast material, <laughs> uh, but I'll just hit some some high level uh, requirements. So you're going to need a, a qualified individual is what they're referred to. Um, that was in the old rule as well. Um, so that's not new, but this... Um, this person can be an employee. They can work for um, an infi- an affiliate. Uh, they can, like I said at the beginning um, of the podcast, they can uh, they can also work for a third party service provider. So you can outsource 
this uh, qualified individual position. The important thing to note is that this person needs to be qualified. Um, so they need to have that uh, the requisite experience to serve in this position and manage this program. Um, so just make sure that you're not just sort of picking somebody, you know, out of a hat to serve this uh, serve this role. They really do need to have um, experience. What's new for this person um, in this role is that they're going to be re- um, required to be reporting to uh, the board about the program um, and doing an annual review. So that's that's new. You're going to have to conduct uh, a risk assessment. You're going to need to know, you know, what information you have. Like, do you have uh, this uh, consumer information? Where is it stored? You know, you got to you got to look at everything and see what do we have? Where's our risk? Um, What do we have to do? How do we protect it? Uh, Mm -hmm. So that's going to need to be done. You need to develop, implement and maintain a comprehensive uh, written information security program. And that's going to be based on um, your business's uh, size and complexity. So that's going to vary from from business to business. And it's going to vary based on the information that you have. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not a one-size-fits-all type of of program. Um, And it may even vary um, from year to year based on your business and how your business is changing. So this is not a set it and forget it type of situation. You know, this is going to be something that's constantly evolving and the FTC, you know, expects it to be constantly evolving if your business is constantly evolving. You're going to have to implement and review authentication controls to prevent unauthorized access to this information. And you need to limit access by authorized and make sure only authorized individuals are getting to this information. You have to encrypt all customer information that is uh, in transit and at rest. So, um, you know, making sure that it's, it's protected. You need to use multi-factor authentication for anyone that's accessing customer information. Uh, make sure you're disposing of customer information securely. Um, train your staff. <laughs> I mean, right. I know it sounds silly, but you know, you have to train your staff and make sure that they know about this program and how to implement it and how to, um, to utilize it. Well, I was going to say, it's just, sorry to interrupt you there too, but I think that that really puts that emphasis on that qualified individual too, right? Yeah, In order yeah, to absolutely. appropriately train, you know, Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of this is going to be falling back on that qualified individual to, um, to execute all of this and make sure um, that it's done and that it's done properly and effectively. Right. Um, if you don't already have one, you're going to need a written incident response plan um, for any um, unauthorized access to consumer information. I think by this point, most uh, businesses have that, um, mm-hmm. but you're going to need to have one. And the rule actually lays out um, probably six to eight um, items that it wants to see reflected in this plan. 
Um, so you are going to need to, if you do have a current plan, you're going to need to um, revise that plan to make sure that these items that are in the rule are reflected um, in your plan. Again, if you're working with third parties or service providers, you know, this is a common theme. You're going to need to make sure that their um, that their security measures are, you know, adequate and are similar to what it this rule requires. You know, if they're not quote financial institutions, they're sort of scooped into this rule, you know, by virtue of um, this requirement. And then right. you need to update and test the program periodically. The FTC um, wants you either to be uh, doing um, continuous monitoring or annual penetration testing. So that's that's the expectation for that um, ongoing ongoing monitoring of the program. So those are really. I mean, like I said, we went from a very general um, kind of have a have a security a program in place, right. you know, make sure you um, respond to event. And then now we have a very, very you know detailed list of of things that are expected of of institutions when it comes to protecting, you know, non-public personal information. Right. No, yeah. And and thank you for going through that list. And Amanda, too, like in addition to reaching out to you, which you know, you can certainly reach out to the firm through our website. Yeah. And and um, you know, if you don't have Amanda's email, it's certainly there. But um, are there any other resources too? Because I, I know that we touched on a lot of the high-level concepts today. Um, but there is a lot more, you know, to this yeah, role, yeah. you know, too. Um, so where can they find that information? Yeah, the FTC actually has a really great um, webpage that breaks down all the requirements of the rule in plain English, like legitimate plain English. So I would recommend um, anyone who's trying to get themselves up to speed on the rule to check out that that website. And um, you know, we can certainly post that um, post a link to that website when we post the webinar or the podcast just yeah. to um, just so everybody has that as a resource as well. No, for sure. Um, so, yeah. So Amanda, so that is all I had, um, you know, with regards to what we were going to cover today. Did you have anything else for, for people that might have any questions in this area? No, I don't think so. I think that's about it. I think we hit on everything. Yeah, no, I, I really do think so. And, and it's like you had mentioned at the top, you know, this is something that we've received a few questions on recently. So if you are getting any emails from solicitors that you know are talking about you maybe getting in trouble for failing to comply with this, make sure you reach out to us and re- make sure you reach out to Amanda for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We're always happy to help. I know the uh, regulations are a little confusing. We're happy to help you uh, work through them. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time, Amanda. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, we'll talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye. That ends this episode of In the Queue. Thanks again to Amanda Smith for returning to the podcast today to discuss the FTC's safeguard rule, an issue our firm has been receiving questions about recently. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast feed to receive the latest news and information in the world of credit unions and CUSOs. I'm Mike Heller. Thanks again for your time today and listening. And until next time. 